The views and opinions that are expressed on this podcast in no way represent those that are held by American Football Ireland or the Irish NFL show. As always, guys, this podcast is just a bit of crack, so please, no giving out. Hello and welcome to the Domestic Game Podcast where we bring you the insights and stories and all things American football here in Ireland. We're your hosts, Kelly Dwyer and I'm Robbie Caldwell. Let's get down to it. Do you want to start off this episode or, or will I? Yeah, sure. You know, might as well. We're uh, here in a new studio location, which is my new house brand new house a little like excellent sound quality here because uh there's no furniture yet and kelly's covid free so at least that's one or another positive Ooh. or should we say negative yeah <laughs> love it but yeah i got i did have the covid that time i'm now over the covid I spent 10 days in isolation and i have to say i loved it i was living my best life just on my own watching rupaul drag race it was perfect. To be honest, the world's a better place now for that as well. 10 days Kelly free. <laughs> oh, burnt. But yeah, apparently I'm like superwoman with the with the COVID now because I've been double vaccinated and have had a dose of it. So that's me. I'm, I'm done with, I'm superwoman. So just like a football, you won't catch it again? Oh, I am getting roasted here in this episode like this. I mean, you're gone for it. You, you're, you're not there for last week's episode. And then you make like a, a shocking return in this week and just roast me in the first like two minutes of the episode. It just, it's great to be back. You know, all the ego boosting that I got from doing the commentary with Joe Kinahan there at the Dunahee Group Invitational Cup Finals up in Derry. You know, it's, it's starting to go to my head a little bit. It's the fame. It's the fame. It's gone right to your head. You've just gone into media. You've gone mainstream media fame big time it suits you though i like it i enjoy it i think the fans do you know oh the fans that's why they're all still listening (laughs) love it but yeah kelly like i said being away there last weekend at the donahue group invitational cup you know two great games of football that we got to see it was incredible to be just back watching live football live american football like it is just another sort of it's just another level like we've we've had you know sort of all these pre-games beforehand but actually getting there and feeling feeling the atmosphere like there was a crowd of well over 500 people for both games we were set up in a in a booth you know overlooking the pitch great facilities great layout you know the, the vipers and Derry city council excellent job putting everything on um yeah, the cheerleaders, and they had Jason Bell there. Yeah, Jason Bell was was actually there uh, in person. You know, there was rumours that he was going to actually line out for the Vipers, um, but he just he actually didn't make the roster cut. Oh, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's it. And um, like, yeah, in fairness, I have to give credit to the the four teams that were involved, but hugely to the Vipers and organising that final. Like, And I think that that was something that was deliberately done, that they had said that they would host that final weekend because they knew they were going to put on a show and they had been building up to that uh, for a very long time. So I just think it sounded 
far better than what we would have even thought it would have been before it had oh, happened. Oh, like honestly, it was it was incredible. Like I've seen uh, AFI Division One finals. You know the occasional. Shamrock Bowl where they haven't even been organised to as high a standard as the Vipers organised that weekend it's action it was great to have and then back to Rosie Joe's afterwards for a few uh, few bits of food and I think the, we'll just leave it at that for how, <laughs> how that night went yeah can we get like a petition to get the Vipers to maybe organise like the next the next bowl or organise some sort of bowl at some point I think like yeah well like talk, talking to the Vipers you know after that uh, this seems to be something that they're aiming to have as kind of you know an annual event where there will be these sort of four weekends of action and a final possibly consistently being held up in Derry and if anyone you know has the opportunity to, to compete in this make a weekend out of it you know book that monday morning off work go see the city go enjoy the sights it's a beautiful city it's only maybe about two and a half three hours from dublin come call into monaghan stop into the new house here and see me <laughs> on your way um just enjoy it like enjoy embrace the the entire weekend of like festivities and events that are going on around around Derry. yeah and i mean if there's going to be free food afterwards then i mean it's got that going for it as well kelly never said no to a free feed not a mission would i <laughs> but anyway back to the action at hand like so the first game that we saw there was the the northern ireland razorbacks uh, against the causeway giants it was a started off a very competitive very hard fought game within the first quarter there was two people carted off one on stretchers uh, the other sort of carried off by teammates I wouldn't like to say it was you know sort of the the rust still being knocked off but possibly after such a, a long break from football there was maybe not the uh, fitness levels or possibly the the tackling prowess that would be needed to sort of help avoid these injuries you hate to see like a player being stretched off or being car- carried off it's just one of those things it does make you a little jittery going into like the next few plays of the game it's just one of those things that doesn't sit right with you so hopefully now both those players are recovering well and are um nearly back on on the pitch yeah you could see that it was taking a few people you know a couple of plays possibly even past the first quarter just to settle in what I think really has to be like noted was the very first play of the game and this like this got me excited like I was very excited watching this happen from the kickoff so Razorbacks kicking off kicked it off the Giants got it Giants they're quite a slow team taking the ball out from the kickoff and then he got, it was uh, Tiernan Borman gets up to the 15 gets up to the 20 you know you're not really seeing much developing and then he takes off mm. he he's running you know it's it's going east west running right across the pitch bit of an angle he's getting down the far sideline and he is gone yeah, you see that a lot in returners, though, that they kind of take their time at first. A lot of the time, because they're looking up and they're reading what's happening and they're kind of deciding what their route is. They're waiting for their blocks to line up. So, you know, credit to lineman blocking. And then once they have that intelligence to see 
this is where these blocks are going to hit this is what this is the route that I need to take they are gone they just hit that next gear and that's it you can nearly see from you know the far 40 that they're gonna go all the way to the line yeah like it, it was marked down as a 75 yard return is that if that's from like maybe the kickoff point yeah, I don't know but he looked like from being there like live it looked like he got the baller in the five yard line and took it to the house he definitely ended up running more than 75 yards to get into that far end zone but once he once he got to the halfway line there was nothing stopping him and that was only like one of two touchdowns that he got that day so Tiernan had an absolutely incredible performance and something that you know really looking forward to seeing more of that entire Giants team performed really well together you know a good consistent unit uh, you'd also like a touchdown by Paul Shields, um, Peter McCochran. Uh, it was great. Like they just very intense and very together and very cohesive in how they were sort of organized and how they you know ran the team. Mm-hmm. Um, but like it, they just they just kept going. The the score ended up. It really did get away from the Viper or from the sorry the the Razorbacks in the second half. The Giants winning twenty six to to six. I think it was maybe it's a bit of an unfair sort of reflection on sort of the the Razorbacks, but it was such a dominant and hard fought performance by the Giants. Yeah. You know, th- there was only going to be one outcome from that. Well, the Razorbacks, in fairness, like it's not that they didn't achieve anything throughout this campaign. I know it will be like a disappointing finish for them, but. You know, they did have their struggles this year. They had COVID as a, as a big one. And as well, that that game that had to be cancelled because of the COVID cases on their team. I mean, I think that they were only aware of that in the day or two ahead of that, which means that all of those players had like full isolations to do. So they were missing two, maybe three weeks of training. Do you know, that's up to six different training sessions because of that and that's just the way the cookie crumbles there's not a huge amount that you can do when when that is kind of the world we're living in at the minute so you know I think that overall they have improved a hell of a lot from like their first outing where they didn't score you know we have seen them improve over the course of this season it has been a tough season for them but like there's obviously a lot to grow and improve on going forward ultimately it has ended up being overall a positive thing for them so you know it's not to write them off it's just to kind of acknowledge where where the wins are for them in this campaign yeah no absolutely like for both teams going forward uh, it's been a great campaign um plenty to build on plenty like a positives to take from it and it'll be great to see them like continue to grow and continue to develop um that's really all that we can say for that game you know I suppose the game that everyone really wants to hear about is the final itself between the Vipers and the Jets. Vipers going into the into the final unbeaten at what was realistically their home pitch. Yeah, and the Jets definitely just wanted to get that week one matchup um, up again and definitely just to prove themselves as you know winners of this um, of this season or certainly what they felt you know you could really tell that they were building an awful lot and know that they have been really very structured and organized the leadership on their team is next to none and so they were certainly going in for a win during this game you could sense that before that kickoff certainly yeah like talking to the Jets before the game what they were really aiming to do was to stop the Vipers run game like the Vipers if you're looking at the statistics they run the ball 80% of the time Mm. 
So they are a very run heavy team. But then when you looked at who their two running backs were, you've got John Paul McKee and Pete Farrell. You know, JP McKee is averaging seven yards a carry and Pete Farrell is averaging six and a half yards a carry. So when you've got two running backs who are averaging that, why would you not hand the ball off to them? Exactly. If it's working, that's what you do. Like And like that, they're getting a second down much or they're getting a first down on every two plays. Like That's silly, silly stats. And that's just consistently just ground and pound, you know, taking that rock up the gut and just going for it. And they are two pretty well-set men. They are going to take a lot to bring them down. And then if we're going to see, you know, the, as we were saying, how run-heavy of a team they were, but you also had Paul O'Donnell in a QB, you know, moving from his original DN position from from the whole campaign. Going into the finals, he was averaging nine yards completion. Yeah. But then again, that was only on 18 attempts. Paul, as a runner with the ball, was quite the dominant force. And he was there was more than one occasion where he saw his name in lights and was making it to that end zone. Got stopped short a few times, but he absolutely wrecked a poor cornerback. Yeah. He dropped him. He yeah. dropped him. Well, it's one of those things as well that, you know, we feel that we're coming to the end of a season here with this campaign because it's a final. But actually, it is what, like the fourth week of it. So this is Paul O'Donnell's first series as a starting QB so it probably is taking that fourth game until you're at a point where you're gaining that confidence that you are starting to make those decisions starting to maybe keep the ball yourself where maybe you would be handing it off and stuff like that so really we've seen an awful lot of development from Paul O'Donnell um, over this Donaghy Group Cup the other thing that we saw or that I could see from the photos from my isolation room was that Paul O'Donnell's um, jersey looked so clean after the game and that is a credit to every single O-line that was there making sure that he was not getting hit and it's one thing that he has said himself that he has felt so safe in his first season um, as a quarterback and that literally is just a credit to the Vipers O-line also the rushing yards that these running backs are getting is a credit to the Vipers O-line so that is something like you have to give you have to give love to the linemen yeah no like the O-line they've done a great job there just keeping Paul upright keeping plays alive like that pocket was not collapsing around him. He was getting, you know, three, four, even at sometimes five seconds in that pocket whenever he was going to throw it. But whenever they were running the ball, which like we said was, you know, four out of five times, they were making the gaps, but the gaps were in the right place. They were where the running backs were going. It wasn't that you were say, seeing four or five gaps along a line where you often see with O-lines. Um, an entire defense in the backfield every man was holding his block creating that space and when the run when the runner was getting through they were in support helping like fantastic play fantastic play by them all you know like the the game like it was if you're even looking at the scoreline where it finished 14-6 the, it's a tough game as well. Like 14-6 is not hugely... 
is not hugely high scoring like and I think that that's a credit to the to the Jets as well like the Jets really have had some real standout fantastic players like um during this campaign and have to give like a shout out to the likes of obviously Scott McLean like that's a name that you've heard a million times Declan Curran who's there running back and is scoring silly TDs and loads of rushing yards and also some of their backup QBs that had to step up especially maybe not in this game but in the last game Odron McCool and do you know there seems to be an awful lot of depth in that roster there and that really really shows because to be able to hold a team like the Vipers just to score like that that is good like that is really good especially given where that game how that game that week one game went yeah no I absolutely have to agree with you although it is worth noting that the Vipers running back Pete Farrell ended up coming off injured within I'd say the first two or three plays of the game what looked like a, an, an ankle injury so you could you could really see come maybe the third fourth quarter where you know JP McKee was taking a lot of ball he was running running that rock and the tiredness was starting to set in thankfully uh, Darren Quinn affectionately known as Busty is is correct yeah you know where he got that nickname was never sort of clarified at the weekend yeah do we want to know i think everyone wants to know i think we do want to know <laughs> busty ended up uh going out from linebacker and heading into the running back i think he was saying that come the end of the day he played nearly every position bar quarterback during the whole campaign the man was an absolute unit wrecking ball if you if you ever see him he well fit to take that ball into contact uh, a more old school kind of running game that the the vipers have with their bigger setbacks as opposed to a lot of the the more thinner athletic looking ones that you you see a lot around the league mm. but the stats don't lie that's don't like that it's interesting that you say like old school like that is what i get from the vipers they to me feel like a very old school type football team just playing old school football and that's it and like a real old school mentality in terms of being a football player or a coach or whatever what you ask from the members on your team is that like the most important thing that you can be as a player for your team is available Mm -hmm. so if that means you're playing linebacker and then you're switching over onto the line or do you know you're playing tight end the next time or even switching out then over to like a free safety like you have to be available for whatever your team needs you to do and to step up into that position and when you have players like the likes of Busty like that's what he's doing like he is available for his team in whatever way that they need him and that is an old school player with old school morals and old school mentality and you have to appreciate that about him you know like it was great performance by all of them all of them there for the Vipers to then to credit the to credit the Jets though on what they done to to hold the game so tight for so long, it, it was hard to pinpoint one sort of moment or series of moments that sort of led to them losing. I don't know if there was anything more that they could have left out there on the pitch that that would have changed the outcome. Coming into the fourth quarter. Uh, I know linebacker Ryan Beckett came out injured with what looked like a shoulder injury. Uh, he was sort of a, a linchpin in their defense throughout the day. The former Trojans man really is is quite solid there, especially in the run game. Was involved 
in all the action on defense for for the Jets. Uh, someone who who sort of really he was a presence that you could see for them, and it wasn't just because he has a silver helmet and you know really stands out as a result of it, but his action and getting to the ball, you know, reading the play, you know, top quality. Like we see with, with so many Trojans trained players, he's brought that with him to the new team and he's continued that mentality. Um, and it's sort of something that, you know, you can, you'll hope will have expanded to the rest of the defense and that it'll help them grow, grow as well. And yeah, that will elevate that team, like no doubt. And especially the type of team that they are. They're all about elevation. They're all about growth. So I am sure that they have welcomed him to that team with open arms and are communicating with him, learning from him and him from them, I'm sure as well. And it's just kind of, it's a synergy type thing. And, and you can see that. And even that you could see that just from the sideline, how well that is working for the Jets. You know, it's, it's good to see it. And then just Kelly, like on the opposite side of the ball, someone who you know we're singing the praises for earlier on in the show, Declan Curran, like the running back going into that game, had scored seven touchdowns in the campaign. Yeah, four in one game as well. So like when you when you have like sort of that mentality, the the running back field between himself and Matthew Graham got I think it was at least ten touchdowns over the cup campaign. That's that's ten in four games, Kelly. You're the smart one here. You do, you do the maths. It's too many to count. It's like over two touchdowns a game that they're getting. Two touchdowns a game, you're getting a minimum of twelve points there. This game here was won by fourteen. If you convert those two touchdowns, you're you're in the sort of territory where in a very run heavy competition, in a very run heavy league, fourteen points is more than enough quite often to to seal a win i suppose really just to like recap the entire like day how much had went into it whereas you had jason bell turning up you know the fans were loving him getting the photos taken with him you had uh titans cheer and i doing a halftime cheerleading show you had myself and joe kinahan up in the booth spouting knowledge throughout the game as to when it was a first down when it was not a first down <laughs> oh you know it was great to have joe there as well like i was very disappointed not to be a part of it obviously i've been really looking forward to it but knowing that joe was going to be there i i knew that um it would all it would be great i was delighted to have him there to fill that so joe thank you so much and the kinahan coop is is still strong with joe there's one more thing that we must add that you know i don't think it's ever been acknowledged by anyone is that Joe Kinahan has got a lovely singing voice. No way. On it, like, as all jokes aside, the man can hold a tune. And did you find this out at Rosie Joe's? Uh, no, actually, it was during the national anthems at the uh, start of the game. Oh, right. Well, we will maybe someday have a lovely special episode where we get Joe on for a wee sing song or two. Absolutely. Couldn't agree more. Speaking of uh, Joe Kinahan, I think a game that we have to cover, of course, is last weekend's Bulldogs and Minotaurs games, Trojan Cowboys. Don't worry, we're going to loop on back to you, but we have a lead into this game now, so we're going to go straight for it. But, um, I mean, the Minotaurs and the Bulldogs kind of was a bit of a one-sided game. The Minotaurs did fairly put the Bulldogs away. I don't know, were you surprised? I No, like, in all fairness, it's great to see the Bulldogs back in action, 
But when you have Jack Lynch, Sean Dalton, and even you know, Alan Campbell now lining out for the Minotaurs, that is a beautiful receiving core. Yeah, it really, really is. Like three weapons. You couldn't say which one is better than the other. And the other thing is, is that Joe has such chemistry with the three of them. And that is so special when you get that, because it's very easy when a quarterback, especially in, you know, an Irish league, let's say a quarterback has a favorite wide receiver and you know that you can maybe put double coverage on him if you need to and you know he's not going to favor the other wide receivers as much and you can kind of afford to do that but when you have three weapons like those three men and then you have joe who has that chemistry with all three of them it's so there's so many options for him there and it's so difficult to cover like you're really looking at kind of the only thing like now it is that there is so many mouths to feed in mullingar Lynch has been an out-and-out number one wide receiver for many a year at this stage. Dalton is one of the younger players just sort of coming in. This is possibly only his second, maybe third year with the club. And then you've also got Alan Campbell, who is traditionally a flag-only player with the Hurricanes. Yes. Travelling all the way from Mayo oh to gosh. play for... The Minotaurs. Yeah, that, um, okay, I didn't realise that. That is commitment. That, like, that is commitment. But it's another thing as there's sort of no teams left out west that that was more or less the, the closest team for him. It's possibly about an hour and a half drive each way. Oh, God, that's a lot. But if you want to, you want to win trophies, you know, he's, he's going to a very good club, a very good club. And having talked to Joe beforehand as well, his O-line, a lot of love for the O-line that he has to keep him upright, to keep him clean. He has nothing but faith and confidence in them. And if you've got a strong O-line, you've got a great receiving core. You've got a quarterback who honestly, can he can throw the ball. He can make the throws and he's not afraid to force the ball into a tight space. He's not afraid to launch it either. No, the man has a cannon on him. Yeah, he does. And when when you trust your wide receivers the way how Joe trusts his, you you go for passes that you wouldn't otherwise go for. And, and that's that option is available for him and his offense. And that is just down to loads of reps. Loads and loads of reps. Like if you want to make a a far too early next year prediction for who's going to win AFI Division 1. The Minotaurs are a strong option, very strong option. You know, that's an interesting question because they are certainly uh, a strong option, but we're coming to a point where that division is starting to become really stacked for talent because you have the Minotaurs, you also have the Knights that are coming down and the Knights have actually beaten the Cowboys in this um, recent um, non-competitive season so the Knights are looking pretty good they're a real winner of this Covid break because the year off has done them uh, very very well so they are going to be a strong team going into the 2022 season the other team that's looking pretty good and that has benefited from the Covid break is Trinity who are also in that in in that division so you have you know, two teams there that are traditionally SBC teams in this division now with the likes of the Minotaurs who are really on that cusp of becoming an SBC team. The other um, team in that division that I'm quite excited for is the Wexford Eagles. And obviously we've not 
seen or heard too much from them for from in this season just given the type of season that it is but they were a strong strong team in the 2019 season I mean they actually beat Trinity in 2019 and met it as far as the the playoffs yeah I know like actually I was fortunate enough there today to get talking to John Lynch from the Wexford Eagles and he was saying that you know there's actually a lot of big news about to come out of the Eagles camp later on this week so I think we really should be excited to hear what's what's happening there so after that slight deviation and where we were going I think it's a it's only right we get back to the game slightly digressed um yeah so I want to get back to Alan Campbell um who actually this was his debut uh, as a kiddish team he'd only played flag before that for the Hurricanes so um for him he had two catches on for 46 yards and a touchdown I mean like he is a man who's really making a name for himself in American football Ireland and when you are committed enough that you are willing to train an hour and a half for games for training for whatever have you like that is only the start of the name that this man is going to make for himself in American Football Ireland. I have no doubt at all. Then in terms of other stats that we had, obviously Joe Kinahan, he had 213 passing yards on the day and that is credit to that chemistry that we've spoken about with his um, wide receivers. Three pass and touchdown, 16 rushing yards. Not a bad outfit for uh, a QB. We also have obviously Jack Lynch who is... You know, if you have to pick a number one wide receiver on that team, it is him. But I mean, it's a very close between him and, and the other wide receivers there. Four catches, 117 yards and two touchdowns. So that is a fantastic day for Jack Lynch, but no surprise to anybody who has seen this man in action. Then, of course, got to give some love to the running backs, um, specifically Andrew Payton, who had 16 rushes, 112 yards running on the ground. Ooh two Russian touchdowns yeah I know so you know it's sometimes the Minotaurs we don't talk talk about their run game just as much as their passing game but it is there and it is strong and then we nearly say this every time that we mention a running back every time a running back is doing good there are like linemen there making him look good so gotta give love to the linemen yeah but like you have to really really credit uh, Bill Doherty there because Bill is he's an O-line coach at heart and really puts a lot of emphasis into the O-line and getting the O-line to actually do their job and has them so well versed. It's sort of, you know, one thing that he really has instilled in them. Yeah, and speaking of Bill, because obviously we know Bill as being the um, director of the youth programme and a huge um, developer and driving force of the youth programme um, across American football Ireland but um, we saw the likes of Peter Dempsey who it is his kitted debut he is from the 2019 youth youth programme in the Mavericks and he had um, two pass breakups and an interception on the day so that's the type of development that we're seeing in in the Minotaurs yeah he came from the Minotaurs youth not the Mavericks youth Oh my God, that was such a Freudian slip. But anyway, yeah, sorry, Minotaur's um, youth programme and that. Um, I was wondering why Rob was smiling at me there when I was saying that. I was like, what am I after saying? But there you go. Sorry, guys. 
Then to give a little bit of love to some of the other um, defensive players, we had the likes of Darren Salmon, who had six tackles, um, two fumble recoveries. We had um, Ross McCadden, who had six tackles, two sacks, and Stephen Nally, who had three tackles, uh, a sack, a forced fumble. So, I mean, it was uh, a really good game for the, the Minotaurs, both sides of the ball. Um, then the other thing that I want to do is not discredit the Bulldogs because obviously we have said, you know, oh, are you surprised at that outcome? The reason why I'm not surprised is because realistically, I mean, the Minotaurs are... Uh I mean, they finished to, like second in their division, which is a whole division higher than what the Meath Bulldogs are. And the thing is, is that I don't think the Meath Bulldogs are going into these games like determined to get wins. What they are determined to do is to be ambitious and to develop as a club. So unfortunately, we didn't see the likes of that um, scripted scrimmage with the Panthers going ahead earlier in the season. But we are seeing that team push themselves, develop. We have seen like their coaching staff develop um, this team like traditionally a defensive led team and then they got the likes of head coach Mike Zito involved and we see more of like an offensive playbook start to develop um, in in that squad um, we also see the likes of Conor O'Sullivan coming over from the Panthers who is also one of the coaches on the Wolfhounds roster for a long time um, come over into the Bulldogs and we see things elevate there and it's a team that you have to admire because it's a team that narrowly missed out on uh, a bowl win in 2019 and they are hungry for that win going forward and they are doing a lot of work in this non-competitive season and a lot of work that other teams are not doing and that will stand to them especially because we talk about this elevation of teams across um, American Football Ireland we're seeing it in um, yeah uh, we're seeing it in the Premier Division, we're seeing it in Division 1, and then we're also seeing it in Division 2 now with the likes of the Meath Bulldogs taking on teams like the Minute the Minotaurs taking on teams like um, the Panthers and really just putting themselves out of their comfort zone to elevate their game. And I just think that that is so brave there's a lot of courage in that and that for me has been an incredibly impressive thing to see from that team in this non-competitive season yeah there's realistically there's no benefit to them sort of going up against teams that are equal to them if they want to sort of actually surpass where they are and make the next step they're gonna have to play against a higher level of opposition whether it be trying to get friendlies with the panthers whether it be the friendly against the Minotaurs, maybe even the likes of the Eagles, anyone at all who is at that next level, they got to just keep going at them, try to get a few scalps along the way, and it will you know, stand to the players that it will continue to improve them, continue to grow them. And when sort of players see that they, they can compete with these sort of higher level teams, when they're going back to their own division, there should be nothing but the drive and the and the knowledge that we put it up to say that Shamrock Bowl team, we should be sending this other team in our own division home, wishing they never knew what football was. They really should use this as a stepping stone to bigger and better things. And they really, I hope, have used this sort of off-season to make that extra sort of push to get back into the Division 1 of the American football here in Ireland. I suppose then after that, kid a game down in Mullingar, which another thing we forgot to mention, the whole game was live streamed. Yeah. 
so that was actually really interesting you know a really big step forward and hopefully the uh the minotaurs will be able to to keep that up for the actual league campaign next year get more games streamed live to your uh to your phones your tablets your computer and tv screens yeah, and we'll share that on the domestic game socials as well. Um, obviously, it's going to be on the Minotaur's um, Facebook page, and we'll share it onto our own page for anybody that just would like to watch a great game. Yeah, like it is something that we would like to see a lot more teams do is to actually get sort of that uh, visual aspect of their games. You know, get the games recorded, get them sent out, so we can see them. Because it's always uh, it makes it a lot easier than to report on a game when you've actually seen what's going on. Because there was another really, well, if you were to go by the scoreline, a pretty stunning game the weekend before between the Cowboys and the Trojans, but just with sort of limited information coming out from that game as to, you know, what actually went down bar the Cowboys getting that win. Yeah, and a significant win as well. Like 41-18, that finished. And for me, that really is just the evidence of the work that the Cowboys have done in this non-competitive season because that's their fourth game now. So they, the two against the Knights and then the two against the Trojans. And I mean, you can see them getting better and better each game. I still felt that against the Trojans, especially in that first quarter in the last game, they were still looking very rusty. And of course, then that's where your vets start to step up and start to kind of tidy things up. Towards the end of that last game, they were looking a lot more competitive. Obviously, that was a very close game. I think that they would have been a bit sickened back then not to come away with that win. Um, with the 21-20 scoreline there but to come back and to beat the Trojans uh, 41-18 they really put in that work I'd say that um, a lot of what they've worked on would have been their their hands like the wide receiver hands which is so important in the first quarter I don't think of the last game I don't think any wide receiver actually caught a ball I hadn't caught a pass like so I'd say hands big time is something that they've worked on and then the other thing that they really needed to work on from the previous game was the pass coverage on defense so I mean if they had fixed those two things like that's a strong team going into the 2022 season yeah I know like absolutely it'll be great to see or even if we were to get some kind of report from the game to hear maybe who were the standout performances like from looking back through the photos of the game uh, a lot of the Cowboys players seem to be the same players as before however the Trojans team there looks to be an awful lot of new people there new players lining out you know new players in different positions Um, so it's it's really I'd like to know if it was sort of maybe the the rookies or the newer players that they've attracted to the Trojans organization? Yeah, I think that would be a fairly safe bet. I mean, I think it's one of those that we all know that if the Trojans went out with their veteran team and, you know, um, all their returners, their wide receivers and all this that are so, so strong and so well known across the league um, at this point, well proven with, you know, five shamrock bowls to their names at this stage that um if they went lined out with that team it wouldn't be much of a game but really who is developing with that because you know your good players are 
could possibly get injured in a game that is a non-competitive game and then your rookies and the players that need to develop aren't getting that opportunity to do so so I think what the Trojans are doing is really clever you know kind of letting go of trying to win these like non-competitive games put out the players that need to be developed because those are going to be better players coming into the next competitive game and you can be pretty sure that when that competitive season starts, they are gearing for a Shamrock Bowl. I mean, there is no, there is no other reason that we would see such well-known players from a few different teams come to the Trojans unless they were gearing up for a Shamrock Bowl. That's what they are all focusing on, even at this point. It is. It's the goal every year for the Trojans is to win the Shamrock Bowl anything less than that is sort of by their standards a disappointment at this stage the other thing is is that i can promise you that nobody wants to retire to finish their like retirement or to finish their um their playing career that's exactly what i wanted to say um nobody wants to finish um their playing career on a non-competitive season or a break of a season so there will be an awful lot of veterans from the trojans that probably would have retired at this point, you know, maybe with another bowl um, on their belt, um, but have, will decide to play into the 2022 season because they don't want to go out on kind of a meh two years of football. Like they want to go out on a strong year, really like solidifying themselves as kind of dynasty worthy players. So possibly even the team of the decade in American football here in Ireland yeah I mean like if they go on and they win a sixth Shamrock Bowl that will be very hard to argue against for anybody no absolutely and great for uh, young Scott Buchanan there to get his first win as club president you know the Buchanan family are a name synonymous with Craig Alvin Cowboys football I mean at this stage they are uh, synonymous with American football Ireland I mean they're very well known and it's great to see the likes of young Scott stepping into what are very big boots to fill yeah no absolutely absolutely you know many people thought that the departure of his older brother Joe would have been sort of semi-detrimental to the organization but they're a well-reared family you know he comes from good stock and is seemed to be getting the ship steered in the right direction a big win for the club a big win for him it's sort of a continuation of you know the the work that his, his brother had done before him yeah and I mean like of course then you have like vets like Peter Lochran who are just really stepping up on that team they're really just like he is a well repped like he is like an old school type SBC player you know he just knows what needs done I, I will not forget him um on at the last game when he was shouting at his team and he wasn't mincing his words he was telling them exactly for everyone to hear what they needed to start doing he's not going to shy away in the big moments you know he will continue great player but some very questionable fashion choices yeah Big time fashion. The choice. one I have to question, you know, just going from the latest sort of round of photos, was that it was about 20 degrees, late teens, early 20s there in that game. He's wearing a hoodie underneath his full kit. Oh, that's not even as bad as it gets. Like, the man has, you know, that long, flowy, blonde hair, bandanas, all the rest. Like, but it's not even... That's it, Kelly, I'm going to stop, I'm going to stop you, I'm going to stop you on that one. Long, blonde hair and a bandana is a beautiful <laughs> look that more men should definitely represent. I'm cutting a bit close to the bone here, have I?
And I think really on that note, it's uh, possibly time we should wrap up tonight's episode. Before we do any more damage, I think that's wise. We're your hosts, Kelly Dwyer. And I'm Robbie Caldwell.